Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Amy and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Copper Mountain Mining Corporation first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Please note that comments made today that are not of a historical factual nature may contain forward-looking statements. This information by its nature is subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause the stated outcome to differ materially from actual outcomes. Please refer to slide two of today's presentation and Copper Mountain's first quarter 2020 management discussion and analysis for more information. I will now turn the call to Mr. Gil Clausen, President and CEO of Copper Mountain Mining. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Starting on slide three, as you can see, I have with me Don Strickland, Copper Mountain's Chief Operating Officer, and Rod Shire, our Chief Financial Officer. I'll begin by providing a brief update and summary of the quarter. Don will provide a more detailed discussion on our operation, followed by Rod, who will speak to our financial results. I'll then wrap up and open the call to questions. Turning to slide four, we are all in unprecedented times with the impact of the COVID-19 virus, an impact to each one of us individually and, of course, to our industry on a global scale. We at Copper Mountain reacted quickly and implemented the controls and protocols outlined by the provincial and federal governments, as well as additional precautionary measures to mitigate the risk of exposure to COVID-19 at our operation. So far, we have no confirmed or presumptive cases of the virus at our mine. We are operating normally under the necessary protocols and have implemented the revised mine plan we announced early in March, which is based on a US 220 per pound copper price. With the lower copper price and general market uncertainty, we took a very prudent approach and deferred all major capital expenditures, the largest being the installation of ball mill number three, which saves us US 22 million. Further, we resequenced short-term production to the lower cost areas in the central and north faces of the main pit in order to maintain positive margins. These areas are closer to the primary crusher and the waste dumps, which result in lower mining costs. We also reschedule mining of high-grade ore from pit three from 2020 to later in the year and 2021 to better match higher metal prices, which should then assist in funding our mill expansion project when we give it the green light again. We've updated our 2020 guidance to reflect the modified mine plan and expect production to be between 70 to 75 million pounds of copper and all-in costs to be between US 220 to US 235 per pound. 
In addition to the significant cost reduction efforts we've already put in place, further cost decreases are expected as we continue to see the benefits from lower priced diesel and the weaker Canadian to US dollar exchange rate, as well as the BC Hydro cost deferral program, which allows Copper Mountain to defer up to 75% of the mine's power cost. In these uncertain times, we're focused on maintaining our margins and protecting our cash flow. While the mine plan we have implemented is sustainable longer term at these low copper prices, we believe this market uncertainty will likely be relatively short term and fully anticipate the copper price to recover. We have the capability to revert to higher production levels at any time, given the flexibility of our operations. Turning to slide five. Of note, in the quarter, we came to an agreement with our partners, Mitsubishi Materials, to extend our current related party debt to the mine until June 2023, making it a long-term obligation with no payments due until then. This improves our working capital by about $135 million and strengthens our financial position. Production in the quarter was 17.5 million pounds of copper, approximately 6,100 ounces of gold, and 80,000 ounces of silver for nearly 22 million pounds of copper equivalent. We significantly revised our mine plan in Q1, and we expect higher production in the second half of the year, as well as overall lower unit costs. Don will go into more detail on our revised plan in a bit. C1 cost in the quarter was about US $2 per pound, all-in sustaining cost was 214 per pound, and all-in cost, which includes deferred stripping and GNA, was US 247 per pound. First quarter costs were higher as we are still working off the old plan until early March. We expect to see costs come down considerably from these levels, and we reiterate our March 10th guidance in respect to all-in cost and production. I'll now turn the call over to Don to go over our operational results. Thanks, Gil. Starting on slide number seven. As Gil mentioned, we implemented a revised mine plan in early March in reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic and the lower copper price environment. We were mining in phases one, two, and three, as shown on this slide, until early March. Our strip ratio was 3.1 to one during the quarter as we had focused on advancing phase number three. Our revised mine plan defers phase number three, which significantly reduces mine operating costs and saves high-grade ore for a stronger metal price environment. We have cut our mining rate by about 25% from approximately 195,000 tons per day to about 145,000 tons per day for the remainder of the year. I will discuss the mine operating cost savings in more detail on the next slide. We are presently focused on mining phases number one and two, which are short, low cost, haul cycles to the primary crusher and waste dumps. The primary crusher and waste dump are located in the top right of this schematic. Before moving to the next slide, I want to provide you with the orientation of the picture on that slide. It is looking southwest at the phase three high wall with the phase one pit located to the right side of the picture. Turning to slide number eight. This slide visualizes the high cost waste and ore movement from phase number three. 
the waste and ore were being hauled up these ramps, and the waste continued up and to the south to the waste dumps, while the ore was hauled around the pit and back to the primary crusher. These are long hauls and fuel-intensive hauls. In our revised mine plan, we expedite the completion of mining of Phase 1, which is on the far right side of this picture. Phase 1 is mined to the ultimate life of mine pit bottom in early Q3. Once Phase 1 is complete, we then move waste from Phase 3, a short downhill haul, and backfill Phase number 1. With the completion of Phase 3, or sorry, with the connection of Phase 3 to the existing Phase 1 in-pit haul road, the ore haul to the primary crusher is also much shorter and lower fuel intensity. This revised mine sequencing provides significant cost savings associated with the much shorter and lower fuel intensive haul profiles. It allows us to significantly reduce our haul truck requirements for 2020. We will continue to focus on Phase 1 and Phase 2 mining through Q2 and then transition to higher grade ore supply from Phase 3 in the second half of the year. We expect the strip ratio to be around 2 to 1 for the remainder of the year. Turning to slide number 9. The mill continued to operate consistently during the quarter. The one item to discuss for the quarter is a slightly lower recovery. Turning to slide number 10. In Q4 of last year and in Q1 of this year, we were mining in a small area of the reserve that is the finest mineralogy and lowest recovery in our life of mine plant. This schematic shows the mineralogy domains in relation to the areas mined in Q1. The majority, the majority of the reserve is coarse and medium grain mineralogy, which is a very small portion, while a very small portion of the reserve located in phase one is a finer mineralogy. This fine mineralogy is the reason for the lower recovery during the quarter. As I stated earlier, we will complete the mining of phase one in early Q3. This will complete the mining of this finer grain ore domain for the life of mine plan. Following completion of phase one, the recovery is expected to increase for the remainder of 2020. Turning to slide number 11. As Gil stated, in reaction to the lower copper price, we deferred the installation of ball mill number three to conserve cash. However, we continue with the installation of the direct flotation reactors, which are being installed as a second cleaner stage for the flotation circuit. This project will provide stability and capacity for the cleaner circuit supporting production of a higher grade copper concentrate. This is a low capex, high value project that we are continuing to advance and expect to commission in early Q3. The picture on this slide shows the recent installation of a new splitter box which feeds the existing column flotation cells. The splitter box provides flow stability and improved control to the column cells. The column concentrate will feed the new DFR cells which will be installed beside the columns located in the top right of this picture. The DFR tails will return to the, split, the splitter box. These process connections are being installed during regular scheduled mill shutdowns to support a quick commissioning. The DFR cells are scheduled for delivery and installation in late Q2. I now turn the call over to Rod to go over our financial results. Thank you, Don. As noted on slide 13, the mine shipped and sold 17.9 million pounds of copper, 
6,364 ounces of gold and 78,572 ounces of silver in Q1 2020. Revenue for the first quarter was 49.6 million net of pricing adjustments and treatment charges and was based on an average copper price of US 258 per pound. Revenues were down 43% as compared to the 86.9 million recorded in Q1 2019, in part due to lower sales and metal prices realized in Q1 2020, but also due to a $19.1 million negative mark-to-market and final adjustment from provisional pricing on concentrate sales as compared to a positive mark-to-market and final adjustment of $9.9 million in Q1 2019, a differential of about $29 million. A majority of this is a non-cash accounting entry that is required under IFRS and the ultimate adjustment to revenue will be recorded when the sales are finalized over the next three months. Cost of sales in Q1 2020 was 64.5 million as compared to 63.6 million for Q1 2019. Despite a $4.6 million reduction in site costs, the increase in cost of sales was marginal as Q1 2019 cost of sales was net of $13.6 million of deferred stripping costs, while Q1 2020 cost of sales was net of only $7.4 million of deferred stripping costs. Turning to slide 14. This all results in a gross loss of $14.9 million and a net loss of $43.5 million for Q1 2020 as compared to a gross profit of $23.3 million and a net income of $17.8 million for Q1 2019. The net loss position for Q1 2020 was directly attributable to two things. The first is COVID-19 and the impact it has had on the world copper markets and the company as we adjusted our 2020 operational plans throughout the first quarter, and to the non-cash unrealized foreign exchange loss of about $20 million, which is primarily related to the company's debt that is denominated in U.S. dollars and is required to be made under IFRS as outlined in the company's MD&A and Statement of Cash Flows. As you can see on our income statement, foreign exchange gains and losses can vary significantly on a quarterly and yearly basis. Therefore, we encourage investors to look at adjusted earnings and adjusted EBITDA to better measure the company's financial performance. After removal of all the accounting non-cash items, the company reported adjusted EBITDA of $5.2 million and adjusted earnings of $1.4 million or about one cent per share for the first quarter of 2020. Despite the challenges of COVID-19 and reduced prices as a result of it, we were still able to increase our cash position by quarter end. We started the year with 32 million in cash and ended the quarter with approximately 36 million in cash on hand. I will now pass the call over to Gil for some closing remarks. Thanks, Rod. Um, If you could turn to slide 16, please. Despite the uncertainty of this global crisis, we remain focused on completing some major tasks this year. Work on the EVA Copper Bankable Feasibility Study is near completion, and we expect to announce results within the next week. 
These results will include the Blacker deposit, which we announced a resource for last October of 836 million pounds of copper. We've also optimized the mill flow sheet and the mine plan, which we expect to result in substantial improvements in estimated production and costs. Early in the third quarter, we plan on commissioning the DFRs, as Don has noted, and the first stage of our mill expansion project. We will manage project advancement for the installation of the third ball mill dependent on market conditions. We have maintained long lead item expenditures that are critical to the project to allow for a rapid restart when markets dictate. On exploration, we continue to drill and we plan on updating the reserve and resource for Copper Mountain in the fourth quarter. With uh, having greatly expanded our reserves last year, we are currently in a situation where our reserve life materially outsizes our annual production rate. So we're working on a further expansion study designed to test increased production at the Copper Mountain Mine to 65,000 tons per day. We expect to announce the results of this study in about six months. And before we conclude, I just want to remind our shareholders that the TSX has allowed companies to hold AGMs at any time in 2020 due to current travel and social distancing restrictions. We've scheduled our June AGM later to September the 9th. We will announce additional details closer to that time. Just to conclude, we remain focused on operating with solid margins and cash flow without sacrificing the intermediate or long-term plan we have demonstrated our flexibility and ability to react quickly in response to changing market conditions and metal prices. This flexibility applies both to the downside and, of course, to the upside. If, if mar markets recover, we can quickly turn on additional production. However, our top priority is ensuring that we protect the health and safety of our team and the local communities in which we operate. Our team has done an outstanding job implementing and living the new COVID-19 guidelines and procedures at the mine and throughout the organization. I would like to thank our team for their efforts, as well as acknowledge the support of the BC government, our shareholders and stakeholders in these uncertain times. And with that, I will open up the call to questions. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please go ahead and press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that's star, then one to ask a question. Your first question today comes from the line of George Topping of Industrial Alliance. Your line is open. Great. Thanks, operator. Hello, everyone. Um, a couple of questions. Hi, in the, hi there. In the near term for Q2 and Q3, um, would you see the, the strip ratio uh, for those two quarters, or roughly? I'll let uh, Don speak to that. Yeah, we, uh, George, uh, for the rest of the year, uh, we're saying two to one. Um, I don't have the exact uh, strip ratio in front of me right now, and maybe we can get that and get it back to you. Uh, but for the rest of the year, it's uh, two to one. All right, good. And then um, we are obviously seeing deflation in diesel. Are you seeing other consumables coming down? And where, where do you see uh, the unit costs being also in the short term, you know, Q2, Q3 is, 
really where I'm focused, uh, given that I expect copper prices to recover. I think principally we're seeing um, we're seeing reductions in in diesel cost, and most of our unit cost reductions are going to come as a result of of reduced haulage expenses. Um, so you know when we look forward uh, at at the cost, we see a declining cost structure for two reasons. One, of course, we're 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 getting into um, lower mining cost areas of the deposit, but secondly, we're We'll see increased recovery and increased production through the year. So, yeah, you'll you'll see our unit cost decline. Yeah, any rough estimate of that? I mean, looking with the power uh, rebate, what 10% reduction maybe, and Q1 type of thing. Do you, what are, any guidance on that? Power costs are uh, a real savings. Uh, there's no question about it. But the and the and and but those savings, those power cost savings, George, are actually a deferral. So they they are an obligation that will be will be owed in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of true true cost savings, the fuel costs um, will be the predominant predominant savings. Uh, do you have anything to add on that, Don? Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know as uh, Gil stated, George, that uh, fuel is the main one. Uh, we do certainly see uh, uh, natural gas inputs uh, impact uh, to things like grinding steel and explosives. Um, and longer term, we expect uh, higher costs to, to drop. Uh, but we haven't uh, really looked at those uh, uh, too closely at this stage. Um, you know, we, we've, as, as Gil stated, the big cost savings is, is really the, the reduction in consumption associated with the revised mine plant. And uh, that's really been our focus at this stage. Right. Okay. Other thing, other things, George, that we have done is that we've reduced, you know, a lot of contractor costs when we have any special projects to do around the mine. And and as we've reduced the workforce that's active in projects, they've been reassigned to do some of the the, the project work, capital project work, whether it's uh, geotechnical work or other other type of work around the mine. Okay, I'll I'll leave it there and uh, let somebody else get on. Thank you very much, guys. Your next question today comes from the line of Ores Waukada of Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi, Ores. You may be on mute. Okay, maybe you can sorry, sorry about that. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I just muted myself. Um, I was just um, going to say, um, with the, the new mine plan you put out in March, uh, you deferred the U.S. 22 million uh, mill upgrade. Can you give us what the new capital budget is now for the year uh, when we think about both sustaining and growth? Well, actually, from that point, we we have done a little bit of uh, additional reduction in, in in capital and operating costs, but I'll I'll let Rod uh, cover that one off. Okay, uh, good question, Norris. Um, as you you know, the uh, the ball mill expansion uh, it has been deferred. Uh, we are continuing to move with long lead items, as as Gil mentioned, in terms of uh, keeping our flexibility there. We're spending about a little over seven million dollars on that this year. Canadian dollars. Uh, the balance of the projects, we've chopped down things like 
uh, Pitt Wireless, we're pushing that out a year. So we've reduced our capital spend from about $52.5 million down by $33 million to about $19.2 million this year. And um, that's made up of a number of, of items such as, you know, our Wolf Creek project, the uh, creek realignment, that's an important project to get done this year. So that has maintained 100% budget. That's costing us about $2.6 million this year. Uh, our Ingerville permitting, well, it's very important to the future of the company. We are able to slow that down a little bit, not in terms of time frame, but dollars spent. And so if you add all these, these items up, um, it's about $19.2 million uh, this year. Okay, great. And uh, Rod, you had a, a big influx of working capital, a positive working capital uh, this quarter. What do you, how do you see that playing out the rest of the year? Is that going to start reversing? Well, the the I guess the the big item um, when when you look at at um, working capital, you know, we saw um, the Mitsubishi um, debt be be uh, pushed down to three years. So that certainly certainly helped. There's no no question about that. But when you uh, look at it from on the uh, statement of changes in cash flow, you certainly um, saw the uh, the movement in in receivables and payables that really accounted for that. So it, it's going to depend on how we see the the uh, pricing uh, come through over the next three months and how that's going to ultimately play out. But we we did see you know we've provided a provision of reduced uh, uh, revenue coming in from our uh, concentrate sales because of that mark to market adjustment that we saw. So I do expect that to reverse somewhat. Okay, and then just finally, on the power deferral, can you remind us how much are you paying in power, say in dollars per quarter? Uh, I think you said 75% can we, be deferred. Yeah, deferred. we pay about 2.6 million per month. Okay. And, and BC Hydro's come out with a, a, a number of, a couple of programs. Uh, the existing program that was there that we utilized back in 2015 is still there but they came out with a, another program over and above that that allowed you to defer up to 50% of your power bill over the next three months to help specifically address the COVID-19 issue. Okay, and can you remind us the mechanics of that again? Like what copper price are you yeah, allowed to do the, that? Um, okay, sure. The, the uh, new program they came out with is just a 50% reduction. It's not related to any, any pricing. The old program, which is still there, relates to pricing and FX, and so it was around um, 340 Canadian copper price that got you sort of a zero deferral, and as the adjustments changed, you would get um, a deferral or a repayment one, one way or the other. Okay. And I can send Thank you a spreadsheet for us that just calculates it for you, so you can put your own numbers in. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Thanks, Rod. Good luck. Thanks. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Your next question today comes from the line of Stefan Ayano of Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Great, thanks guys. Uh, maybe just switching gears over to Eva, I know you mentioned the study's gonna be out pretty shortly here, but and so maybe this question's a bit premature, but obviously once the study's out um, amidst COVID and everything else, can you sort of give us maybe a, even just a rough 
idea of what you're thinking in terms of moving the project to the next level in terms of advancing sort of financing discussions and whatnot, or, or is it sort of going to be on the back burner for at least the foreseeable future until COVID's well behind us? Well, Stefan, <clears throat> you know that's 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 all, that's the big question on everybody's mind. I think you know what do you do with a with a fabulous project that has you know really nice economics in an environment like this. Mm-hmm. And look, I think it's it's first of all it's incumbent upon us to you know continue to do what we say we're going to do, and we announced that we'd be putting out the results of that study around this time, and that really will demonstrate the clear value of that project, which has really a lot of option value for us, whether, uh, you know, you know, when you look at the, the, the EVA project itself and you've got um, a great project in a great jurisdiction that is a financeable project um, and uh, certainly a financial, financeable project um, that can be delivered to the market in a short period of time with a short construction phase. It, it, it has value. The difficulty is right now, how, how do you get that, that project financing completed and, and raise the capital required mm-hmm. to be able to put that, that into production? There's no question that's an issue. Do we have the answer today for you on this call? I would say we don't have the answer today. But I will say this, that there's clearly value in this project. There's no question about it. Uh, significant value that's not being reflected in the value of the company. And I think it's incumbent upon us and it's, it's, it's a value to our shareholders so that, um, that they know that, that, that this, this project that has value can be advanced and can be advanced in future when the markets uh, dictate. And I, I think um, it's also important for us to let the market know what's happening at Copper Mountain and what our views of Copper Mountain are of our mine in British Columbia as well. And what is the intrinsic value or, of that asset and collectively uh, copper, the whole company Copper Mountain as a result. So um, look, we've always felt that we have a heck of a lot of torque to the copper price and probably a lot more uh, than uh, most of our competitors, especially due to the fact that we have such significant growth potential at such relative low capital costs. So the capital intensity of our growth is, is extremely low and the ability to ramp up and, and torque that value into the share price we feel is, is there with Copper Mountain. That was a long answer and I didn't really answer your question. But no, it's helpful to know, hear sort of the general thoughts. You know, I mean, it's, it's not a surprise at all, but uh, it's just sort of, yeah, good to hear that obviously uh, it is a significant part to the overall story. So um, it'd be great to watch it sort of unfold as, as the future allows it to. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Our next question today comes from the line of Craig Hutchison of TD Bank. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, How are you? Good. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, just a, a follow-up question just on the capital guidance for this year. And just as I kind of look at the all-in cost guidance of 220 to 235, and I kind of compare that against the all-in sustaining costs, um, if I use the midpoint of that, I'm, I'm sort of coming up with about a $50 million U.S. difference, and I guess that would be attributed to, you know, low-grade stockpiles, inventory expense, administration, deferred stripping. That number to me seems quite high. Um, you know, how should we be thinking about, you know, those costs? Maybe if you can provide some clarity on 
you know, what you're looking at for deferred stripping and, and low-grade stockpiles uh, for sort of balance a year, that would be helpful. Yeah. Sure. Well, we're not, you know, we're not – oh, go ahead, Rod. Yeah. Okay, uh, Craig, um, uh, and, and that, that, that number seems extremely high to me, and, and maybe offline we can go into more detail and it can help guide you. But the, uh, for the balance of this year, we, we deferred about $7.4 in in Q1, we're not expecting a significant deferral for the balance of the year. Another maybe two and a half million, get it up to that 10 million mark. Um, and with regard to low-grade stockpile, uh, we're not anticipating adding significantly to low-grade stockpile for the balance of the year as well. Um, as Don mentioned, they're, they're focused on low, low mining cost areas, and, and uh, we've reduced our, our um, uh, tons being moved. And, and that one of that functions is less low grade stockpile being moved, low grade being moved. Yeah, so you can see, uh, Craig, quite you know, if you look at where <clears throat> where we pegged our our all in, and the uh, the all in cost would include everything. That's guts, feathers, and all. You know, you've got all your GNA in there. You've got your deferred stripping. You've got your stockpile. Everything's in that number. And our guidance Another. range is two twenty two twenty to two thirty five. Now. Some of those inputs in and out on a quarter will affect, you know, maybe where our cash cost falls and our AI, AISC falls. But the bottom line number is the AIC, and and that's why we, you know, we say that that's the number that you can compare to the metal price, basically, because that's the cost of running our operation. Okay, fair enough. I appreciate it. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. And at this time, there are no further questions in queue. I turn the call back to the presenters for any closing remarks. Um, listen, this is a, a very trying time for everybody and I, I appreciate you being on the call and those of you listening in, I hope you all stay healthy and well and uh, thank you for joining us this morning. And ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.